Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of Combo Chain. It is a JRPG Games Club podcast. And this episode, we are focusing on Mega Dimension Neptunia V2, um, which is a very, very complicated name. And I am joined here by uh, a hyperdimension Neptunia experts and a uh, you know friend of both the show and uh, our other podcast Megaton Marathon. So uh, would you like to uh, introduce yourself? Hello guest. I am Fletcher and I am likely the most knowledgeable person that you or many of your listeners will ever encounter about this topic. Which is sobering <laughs> to say out loud. <laughs> yeah, just to give a little backstory on how this game, uh, how this episode came into being, was you know, like a lot of people, I've watched the uh, Hyperdimension Neptunia games pile up on the Vita and the PS3, and it felt like for a while there was a new one coming out almost every week on the Vita, and you know. Uh, being like, what the hell is going on with this game series? Um, this looks like the most ridiculous and kind of dumb, <laughs> dumb concept um, in the world. Um, but I was still kind of curious about it because I am an old, like, you know, lifelong, like Sega fan. I knew there's a lot of like Sega fan service. And when I found out that Fletch uh, was a big fan, and Fletch is somebody whose uh, taste in games I really t- tend to trust, I was like, "All right, Fletch, we got to get you got we got to get you on the show to explain this series to uh, to us and to me, and uh, I need to uh, actually play one." Um, and now. Having played uh, Mega Dimension Neptunia uh, V2, I liked it so much that uh, I picked up uh, uh, the, uh, what is it, the Hyper Dimension Neptunia RPG. And oh god, did you that. pick up Super Neptunia RPG? Yeah, yeah. I hope you like it, but ooh. I, I kind of like it. I kind of like okay. it. Okay, okay. That's I've, good. I've, I've drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> that is... You could definitely have chosen worse for a follow-up title is all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, I'm just going to take the reins for a minute with our history segment here. Um, yeah. So this series has now been around for one whole decade. It debuted in 2010 with the absolute garbage original title on PlayStation 3, Hyperdimension Neptunia. Here is a fun fact that is probably the easiest way I can sum up uh, how the writing works in this series. There is a place called the Hyperdimension in this series. The original title does not take place there, and in fact, that doesn't come into play until the second game onwards. This tells you just how much the whole thing is an excuse for gags over a very serious (laughs) storyline. Uh... For the record, the first game actually takes place in the Super Dimension, which is one of five and counting that uh, occur throughout the games. 
According to interviews with the team, uh, which has only grown over time, this is the largest property Compileheart has by this point, the original concept was going to be a pitch that focused entirely on the series artist Sunako designing a world and things to shop around to partner studios. Originally, three princess sisters and a protagonist were going to be in a generic fantasy world. And then nobody bit. So after the team finished working on Trinity Universe, this became the in-house crew's problem. And then they had to start jazzing it up, which turned into the basic console war premise we now know. The simple pitch is that. What if the console wars but Moe? Over time, it's grown into something that's much more involved, goes a lot weirder, has given crossovers with actual licensed properties. Did you know Keiji Inafune is a summon in one of the original games? Like that kind of thing. Right, right. But at its core, the entire thing to this day is still your favorite consoles and or manufacturers are anime girls now. Mm -hmm. I guess it's better than them being, uh, you know, uh, 3000 year old uh, witches. Yes. Although there are a few of those. However, they're, you know, portrayed as actual women. So the series is also very open about the fact that it's meant to be a silly fan service romp with the existence of men as a concept being rare. They will, you'll usually get one or two among the villains in each game, but generally they are going to be robots or people inside robots because I think maybe three characters have been explicitly male and looked like regular human beings. And one of them was a direct parody of Nintendo's Hiroshi Yamauchi. So (laughs) that should tell you a lot. Uh, And that goes so far that the link system for all party members is referred to as the Lily system. No points for guessing how that got a name. And by the newer titles, it will even get called out as an aberration if a man shows up and they're usually DLC. As a general rule, uh, going back to what I was saying to Paul earlier, please only play the mainline titles because there are occasional spinoffs worth a damn. I would recommend Super Dimension versus Sega Hard Girls. It's an incredible love letter to Sega as a company and a very streamlined version of this combat system. Yeah, and actually, I, pl- I played a little bit of that. And um, yeah, it was, it was, I, I enjoyed it. It's also a weird spiritual sequel, I guess, to Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, which is a game I love. The premise is explicitly that you are time looping and making progress over and over. So yeah, that's a thing that I never thought would come out of this series, but I got it, and it was pitch perfect aimed at me. (laughs) But the other spinoffs with, I think, one exception are all made by the team behind Titty Ninja Games Senran and Kagura, and they are some of the grindiest, laziest, most miserable things to play. Please do not do that. Oh my god. Um, I Just as an aside, um, I was looking on the PS4 store the other day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because I had bought two uh, Neptunia games now, um, all of its recommendations were basically Gao Gun and uh, uh, Senran uh, Kagura games. <laughs> yeah, 
that's gonna happen. It's uh, it's worse if you're on Steam. Just take it from me. <laughs> yeah, I bet because the bar for quality there is much lower now. I have been recommended Hentai Sniper Middle East multiple times. Holy shit! That's a real game. Uh, I've got I've got to look that up right now. I just got to do a quick Google. What's it? Go, Hentai go Sniper. Right ahead. Uh, Hentai Sniper Middle East. You do that. I will continue with the uh, game summary. Okay. I'm expecting a holy shit in the middle of this. So Mega Dimension Neptunia V2, and I'm just going to start calling it V2 throughout the rest of this because that title is a mouthful, is the sequel to Hyperdimension Neptunia Victory, which if you're playing these through the much more available remakes would be... Holy uh, shit! I told you that was real! (laughs) I told you! Oh my gosh! It's part of a series! Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're playing these through the remakes, you would know this as Rebirth Mark III V-Generation. It's the fourth mainline title and the first one to be developed for what were then next-gen systems. Everything else prior to this was a PS3 title. It's also the Skyrim of the Neptunia series because it's been five years since its release The mainline series has stalled out, and it's been ported and remade three times now, Mm. both in a VR upgrade and a just-released or just-about-to-release Switch port. To make it even more confusing, V2 is actually three games in one, consisting of two smaller JRPGs that have their own mechanics and combine into the final arc. Zero Dimension Game Neptune Z, Hyper Dimension Game Neptune G, and Heart Dimension Game Neptune H. As you might be able to tell by those names, all of them take place in different parts of the cosmology of the Neptune series. So, it's so strange. It's, yeah, it's pretty wild. And I should also point out that Lord help you if you do not perform specific tasks over the three games, which, to be fair, usually just consists of talk to everyone do a certain side quest or two, which will generally be pointed out to you with a little more fanfare than that sounds. Because if not, you will have doomed yourself to the bad ending, a serious tradition that alternates between either the game just comes to a halt and goes, oh, that wasn't very satisfying, or (laughs) horrendously melancholy. Let's talk about the time that the way to end piracy forever was rather than everyone teaming up because you did not set this up correctly, give Neptune a cursed sword, have her behead all of her friends and allies to fuel its rage, and then slay the villains in a massacre that left the world of game industry in a broken fascist state under her rule. God. (laughs) That's real. That's how one of the games ends if you do not do it correctly. You know, that doesn't doesn't sound too far removed than from uh, some of the uh, endings of uh, Shimigami Tensei games sometimes. Um, It's very... I kind of actually wonder if that one isn't a parody of some of the law endings, because it really is just Neptune with a blood sword on a throne going Sega forever at the (laughs) end of time. Now... This next part is explicitly me editorializing. This is not part of the history anymore. V2 is the game that has the best gameplay out of all the mainline NEP titles by a mile, with actual gameplay changes as opposed to the original PS3 releases, which are 
really bad. I cannot stress enough how bad that is. And the remake titles all use the same engine to the point that you will see the same enemies, models, and stages between all three of the remake games over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But if you are going to play a Neptunia title, please show up just for the writing. These games are made by an unholy alliance of Compile Heart, who, in case you do not know, are not Compile, the late devs of the original Poyo Poyo, and Idea Factory, a developer and publisher combo known for having a lot of scattershot plans and about 25% of the effort you need to make them playable. These games (laughs) are grindy, repetitive, still somehow the best thing the company has ever done, and unless you are a fiend for incredibly niche gags about Japanese games, industry trash talk, and a lot of Sega fan service, just watch a Let's Play. I even play these games with a cheat engine table to just skip over some of the quests, because they're just there to pad out the length of the game. Right, right. V2 is the best, and it's still a game that has a whole lot of asset reuse and combat that could be considered basic. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely I could definitely see that. I remember that um there was a couple of titles I picked up on sale years ago on Vita and I played maybe a couple hours of of each one. And I was like, "Holy shit, this is this this these are like basically the same game." You know, just because yeah, yeah, you know, of all the like asset reuse and whatnot. Um the, the three Rebirth games are explicitly, they took all the assets from the PS3 uh, Victory, which is the game this is a sequel to, and they made three new games in that engine to retell the story of the original trilogy for the Vita. Oh, man. Yeah, so if you binge through those all in a row, you are going to get burned out so hard. I, I imagine. I imagine. So this does kind of like prompt the question. Um, why do you like these, the, this series? It's explicitly the writing because A, the original series is very much a gag title. Like I said, um, it was, I think, Mark II on the PS3 that had actual game industry veterans as summons by different characters. Uh, Keiji Inafune rolling through, Yuji Naka has done cameos, and it's literally just photos of these men being summoned on a battlefield, posing (laughs) and doing damage. Uh, Those things were cut out of later releases for licensing issues and all that, but that's where the game started, and then there's an extra layer of polish that gets put into these on the American side, the localization team is fantastic. I cannot mm-hmm. stress this enough. Yeah. The writing, the writing is really clever and great. Yeah. If you are coming to these games, you are coming to them because you either like some of the cast or you enjoy the incredibly meta tongue in cheek nature of them and how much, they take this basic concept and run with it to the extreme ends of the earth. And every single thing they can get a gag or pandering fan service into, they will. There is a character in 
I think the only one that she's in the story on is the second game. She's DLC and others, and she is just based on the shooter company Cave. All of her outfits and skills are based around the fact that she can create the highest combos in the game with 100-shot attacks. Awesome. Uh, Some of her supers are just based on various board revisions of different uh, games uh, or, like, very loose translations like B-Storm, Black Label, etc. And the entire premise of her character is that she is, because this was the PS3 era when Microsoft was the one who was picking up a lot of niche titles in Japan, she works for Leanbox, the Microsoft analog, as a defense minister because she can move between crowds and act as a spy in ways that no one else can. They literally took bullet hell mechanics and went, okay, so what would that mean as a person? That's so cool. And that gets paid in lip service to every single character down to, hey, remember that one time that we made a character out of the company who does music for us? That's a thing. <laughs> That's the depth this series goes to. And there's there's some other stuff here. Uh, I saved some bits for our wrap up because this game has what is probably the, well, this game has the mainline series peak of pandering directly to me, but in all honesty, uh, Super Dimension versus Sega Hard Girls is extremely my shit, says the guy who has a Saturn from Sega Hard Girls figure sitting on his desk beside him. <laughs> that's 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 rad. That's rad. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I... I think I mentioned it in the uh, Fantasy Star episode um, that uh, we did a, a while back. But yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I was a uh, I, I was a master system kid. Um, went to Genesis, then went to Saturn, and you know, and Dreamcast, and never owned a uh, Sony console until uh, the PlayStation Four came out because I was like, who the hell are these? usurpers that came along and like killed the Dreamcast, you know, like I am big, big hardcore, like Sega fanboy for, you know, since I was probably about six years old. <laughs> so Here, yeah, here's my all dark stuff secret. hits me right. What's that? Here's my dark secret. Wasn't a huge fan of the Dreamcast. I'm, I'm a Saturn guy through and through. I enjoy their prior systems, but the Dreamcast left me exceedingly cold. I was one of the ones who helped bury it. I'm sorry. You know, I think I, I I mean, I have a lot of fond memories for the Dreamcast, but I feel like the opinion, you know, it's like there's been like a ton of like nostalgia for years and like what a great system that was cut down in its prime. And I feel like that opinion's kind of shifting, you know, it's like, like there were some really great games for it, but um, there, there was a lot of crap. <laughs> and yeah, don't get me wrong. I think there was potential there. I think its life was cut short by Sony basically smashing it with a hammer on its launch year. But I think that what we actually got is by and large underwhelming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, uh, I'm just saying that the Saturn never had to answer for Sonic Adventure. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Or, uh, and this is a controversial statement, or uh, Shenmue. Shenmue. 
Uh, no, I'll I'll stand with you. I think that Yakuza is what the Shenmue series is done right. Yep, that absolutely, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Before we get ourselves into trouble, we should probably loop back to Neptunia. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to make one other. I just wanted to make one other comment before we uh, kind of get deeper into the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I really enjoyed about V two and impressed me is it kind of like it, it, it reminded me of uh, the time that I played uh, Project uh, X Zone, which mm-hmm. tries to do similar things, but is it would in my opinion a pretty mediocre strategy rpg with so, a lot of fan service that kind of doesn't really hit so i i i thought they pulled it off much better project cross zone actually comes out of an earlier compile heart game oh really so one of the titles and um a lot of the games that are considered worst titles on the PS3 or of that generation have a lot to do in one form or another with either Compile Heart or Idea Factory. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, Idea Factory published, even if Compile Heart didn't develop. But Cross Edge was one of those games, and it was a fan service collaboration between Capcom. NIS and Compile Heart. So Morrigan and uh, Laharl from Disgaea and various other characters all combined into a strategy RPG. There was a sort of follow up to that called Trinity Universe. And out of that is when you started getting Project Cross Zone. And I'm pretty sure some of the licensing agreements between that and Neptunia are what made Sega withdraw their direct support from this and go, why do we need outsiders? Right. So yeah, there's uh proto Neptunia DNA that became those games. And yeah, they're, they're very much the same thing as this, where it's you're there for the writing because the gameplay is incredibly bland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're there because you want to see, I don't know. Like Sagata Sanshiro start beating up zombies along with G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryu uh, hanging out with, uh, I don't know, Ooh La La from uh, Space Channel 5. And these are all real things. And Cross Zone also adds in Capcom characters, too. So, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, but yeah, I, think- I mean, I thought, I thought as far as like, you know, insane fan service games go, like, like V2 really is a lot more fun. Um, and yeah, anyway, it's it, the whole thing is based on just we know you are here for the writing by this point We're we're beefing up the gameplay with our first next gen title. There's there's whole new mechanics in this. And some of them are actually pretty interesting. And mm-hmm. I dig a few things. But yeah, let's let's just start from the basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll uh, why don't I jump into like the mechanics? Um so, you know, battles are pretty traditional turn-based fares. What's kind of cool is uh, you can customize your uh, character skills in uh, 
some kind of unique ways that allow for experimentation and swapping uh, between skills. And uh, they're all done in this kind of like app-like menu interface. So basically uh, they, uh, uh, these uh, customers, basically these customizations are uh, in, come in three different forms. There's a combo make, which is a system to determine a character's combos, which vary depending on the character's weapons. Uh, the number of available combos can vary based on the weapon equipped. So, you know, there's a level of strategy required in deciding on how like a character's set of combos um, are going to be used because the ordering can kind of impact like how effective the attacks are um, on the enemy. Um, Probably an example I would give for that would be it's sort of like how there were weapons like the nail bat in FF seven, where it's like one materia slot, but man, it hits harder than everything else I've got. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's a good comparison. And then there's the uh, disc developer, uh, which is basically your, you've got game discs. Um, you can embed these chips into them. Uh, the chips are drops that you can find and uh, they give you uh you know, various status effects like buffs and debuffs and whatnot. Um, you know, it's just kind of like custom accessory crafting, basically, as you see in other games. And then there's item development, which is, you know, really just kind of a standard, like, crafting system. You've got to obtain plans by uh, buying them in shops. And once you have the needed materials, you can uh, craft and combine to uh, create new weapons and armor. And so... That is not too unusual. I, I want to point out that if you have not played anything else from Compile Heart, or for some of you who have, who may be going, wait a second, uh, all of these things, save disc dev, are present in virtually every title by this studio. Fairy Fencer F, Mugen Souls, Moero Chronicle. The combat system is also nigh identical. Uh, I want you to remember, again, this sounds like a slam against all of these, but this is the competent mechanics they keep from title to title. <laughs> also, uh, my aside, you can ignore all those other games because this gameplay without a very good dose of writing is absolute crap. I just finished the improved Fairy Fencer F port last month, and it was the biggest waste of time of my year. Oh, God. Yeah, I picked up... Um... I remember I was really desperate for a uh, JRPG at some point, and I picked up Fairy Fencer F because it was on sale. And uh, yeah, I was I was pretty much uh, done with that in about two hours. So I'm just and, I'm just going to spoil a thing for you. Halfway through the game, they literally bounce you back to the start and make you start replaying all of the dungeons over again. But this time, you're just trying to recruit a bunch of characters you killed the first time. But you're literally playing the whole game over all the same areas, all the same enemies. They use the same models and they just say X level Y now. They don't even rename them or recolor them. Well, I guess it saves on development costs. It is probably one of the single laziest things. And then I was even madder that the one gameplay system in it that I found interesting did not come to anything. The whole premise is you are trying to find 
magic weapons to remove blades from the the goddess and the vile god who locked themselves in war years ago and came to a standstill. So there's just this place outside of time where both sides are just pierced full of spears and swords and blades. And if you withdraw them, you can get powers from each. If you withdraw them from the goddess, you get generic buffs like, oh, axe resistance. If you take them out of the vile god, you get much cooler powers like, oh, XP up or farm protection or like items always drop. So I thought, oh, this is a cool risk reward system. Nothing happens. Nothing happens with that system at all. God, it's so weird. I could have been ripping things out of the vile god all game and I didn't because I wanted to see what happened. Nothing. (laughs) Fuck fairy fencer. Yeah. It's like, why, why go to the trouble of developing a mechanic that does nothing? Yeah. Remember that thing I said about uh, 25% of the effort? That's Idea Factory. <laughs> right. <sighs> well, I mean, I definitely had uh, had jobs where, uh, you know, I was putting about that much effort into it. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but nobody paid me to play Fairy Fencer F. <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh so yeah should we uh let's uh let's get into uh, just kind of the loose story beats of each chapter So yeah, let's uh, just do a uh, kind of breakdown of the story of the game. Uh, games, <laughs> since they are three of them, um, you know, rather than doing like a full summary of each one, we're uh, basically doing the uh, story beats of each chapter. So uh, yeah, you start out with uh, Neptune Z, Ragnarok of the Abyss Goddess, which is the opening, and it's the series introduction to the Zero Dimension where uh, the console wars ended in the destruction of the world after the dream dreamcast cratered and it took the whole industry with it. Um, so you're introduced to, uh, Azumi, uh, Tenu, Tenobashi. Azumi uh, Tenoboshi. Tenoboshi. Okay. Uh, who's also known as orange heart and, uh, she's loose, uh, stand in for the dreamcast. 
we should probably sum up that uh, all of the main characters have what are referred to as goddess forms, where it's just color heart, which is Neptune turns into purple heart, etc. Their color generally represents which company they're with. Mm. Right. Because I realized we didn't put that anywhere earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, you can kind of like, there's these kind of like visual cues um, that you you can tell like which console that they are, you know, uh, representing. Um, Also, the first time that uh, series weirdo Umio, who's a cartoony fish with a uh, man's head, um, appears in anything other than as a gag. And um, if uh, you, the joke wasn't obvious enough, he's basically Seaman, which uh, if you're not familiar with Seaman, um, <laughs> it's a very, very bizarre Dreamcast game where you talk to, uh, you basically just talked to a fish that was voiced by Leonard Nimoy. Um, and we're not making this up. There was a microphone peripheral that had you chatting with a uncannily rendered fish with a head yeah that spoke voice like spock yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it, it was like the most disturbing uh tamagotchi uh ripoff ever <laughs> yeah i don't think anything i don't think anything pushed further into the uncanny valley than seaman mm, i mean it's kind of delightful that it existed but still it's <laughs> it, it's Sort of unpleasant to look at and play, especially now that it has not aged well and it's just like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, you you could say that about a lot of Dreamcast games. Like, they look pretty amazing at the time, but now you look at them and you're like, oof, that's, that's rough. But Seaman in particular, I think, was supposed to look sort of hideous and disturbing at the time. And that is just... Um, yeah, now the kind of blocky nature of it. And the pretty well captured voice clips because now it's a literal dead man speaking to you right right so yeah <laughs> yeah that's seaman um <laughs> in the game known as umio um so his first title uh, focuses on the ruined world of the zero dimension um you also spend very limit lim- very limited time in the hyper dimension and it introduces a very basic version of the city upgrade mechanic. Um, so you can try and make uh, outpo- outposts in the expanse. And so there's sort of like, you know, kind of a, like rebuilding, um, rebuilding um, cities and bases that weren't there. Uh, it's kind of hard to say civilization. You don't really leave it in an amazing state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, you also meet the uh, weird through line of these th- three stories, which is old Neptune, the Neptune of the Zero Dimension, who's a taller, black-clad clone of our protagonist, who uh, seems to have a little more experience with dimension hopping than uh, the prime Neptune. She's pretty fun, actually. What did you think? Oh, I really liked her. Yeah, it's... Neptune is known for being very meta she will break the fourth wall explicitly call out i can't die here i'm the protagonist other things Mm -hmm. and this one is just like no this is what a neptune would be like if she was just a character in this world right it's it's kind of an interesting change of pace yeah yeah it's kind of cool it's kind of cool i mean generally in fiction 
I'm not a big fan of like gate of uh, stories where the characters are aware that they're in a, in a fiction, <laughs> but um, that is the whole point of this series. And they pulled off in a really kind of like fun and funny, charming way, but it was kind of cool. Kind of cool to see that. character. It's explicitly only Neptune. Everyone else just gets sick of her crap when she's talking yeah. to the player. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, but yeah, it was, it's kind of cool to see like another version of her that doesn't have that knowledge or doesn't behave like she has that knowledge. So yeah, uh, by the end, we're uh, introduced to uh, Next Forms, which is a new combat mechanic that goes a level beyond the standard uh, goddess form for the main quartet. And uh, each of them is uh, based on the uh, then next-gen systems for each company. And Neptune, uh, you know, given that she's always been an alternate universe Sega analog, um, you know, they kind of just have to make up a uh, non-existent, you know, system for her but uh <laughs> super basically sum up how, yeah yeah uh to sum up how fast the world's moved and how long it's been since this game came out um the uh nintendo character blanc transforms into a wii u form <laughs> which yeah that dates this more than almost anything else in the game oh god yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes i've got a hammer with a screen on it God. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> um. Once we wrap that, we are jumped into Hyperdimension Game Neptune G Gold Vanguard Game Industry Existence of Change. This is the most tongue twisting name in the entire thing, and also <laughs> the longest chunk of the game by far. It takes place in the standard Hyperdimension and consists of the CPUs, who are our four main characters. Uh, suddenly discovering that their places in the world have been usurped by the Gold Third, four stand-ins based on major Japanese game publishers. And this is where we really take that uh, outpost mechanic from the first story and have to rebuild and reconnect all four nations. Mm. They let you take this on in whatever order you like. You can pick your favorite character first, but you do have to perform all four girls' stories. So I'm just going to take it in the order they're shown on the menu, which is Neptune and Sega, Noir and Sony, Blanc and Nintendo, and Vert and Microsoft. Neptune's art consists of her nation of Planeptune forgetting her existence entirely, with the exception of her sibling, Nepgear, and National Administrator, Histoire. Instead, the place is now under the thumb of Bisha, Bandai Namco, a greedy lass who plays a tokusatsu hero but has a deathly fear of monsters, leaving Neptune to clear up the mess the nation has fallen into. Her entire shtick is that she's got all these different licenses and also uh, microtransactions, please. (laughs) I just want to point out, uh, if any of you are near a computer while you're listening to this, uh, just look up the design of Bisha for a minute. It's a great example of a lot of weird detail that goes into these parody characters. She's highly Pac-Man themed, including some of her character expressions giving her Pac-Man shaped eyes. Her outfit has a color scheme that invokes Pac-Man with the orange, the Namco red, the band Presto logo with the uh, mask that she occasionally has. And her various skills and attacks reference a lot of the properties the company owns 
like Gundam, Kamen Rider, uh, Ace Combat, etc. You would expect they might have something about, say, Tekken, but no, Tekken has explicitly been a character in the series before. Okay. Literally just named Tekken. <laughs> She's a masochist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Noir's arc revolves around her returning to La Station and finding out she is a wanted criminal instead of forgotten. A mysterious woman named Keisha, who is Konami, teams up with her while concealing she is the gold third member who runs the new nation. To make matters worse, Keisha is a combination of Metal Gear in that she is a gun otaku and a Tokimeki memorial character with her Yandere obsession about noir, which is why she's keeping her so close and hiding her identity. Uh, this results in your boss battle with her being a full-on breakdown at the end of the arc. <laughs> <laughs> Blanc's arc has her returning to her nation of uh, Louis and trying to hunt for her missing siblings Ram and Ram, the DS naturally, but getting wrecked by wilder-than-ever monsters which have begun to threaten the nation. She's saved by a woman named Sisha, Capcom, who actually quite likes her, but the shadowy forces who are behind Gold Third's takeover force her into conflict with Blanc before everything ends. Shisha has probably my favorite design in the game, blending aspects of Chun-Li's costume in the dress and color scheme with Jill Valentine's beret from Resident Evil and armaments and the personality traits of a Monster Hunter character, which is why the whole land is overrun now. That's so cool. There's so much good stuff, but Shisha really clicks on another level. Mm Mm-hmm. And finally, Vert's arc sends her back solo to Leanbox, where she is conscripted into the nation's defense by Esha, Square Enix, sort of, who has taken over and finds herself unable to defend the land on her own. To make matters worse, she's got a second, much meeker personality in the form of Isha lurking within, which is used against her as a weakness. When you've concluded uh, all four... And I, again, I just, just oh, yeah. uh, as an aside... Um, I loved Esha's design. Um, it's such a great parody of uh, uh, Square Enix's uh, sort of uh, design aesthetic. There's a lot of very pointed... Because this is the only chapter that really does stock JRPG jokes. Mm-hmm. And I also enjoy the fact that uh, S Isha has the two incredibly buff slimes as partners. Right. Right. Yeah. They they are literally just a, the series mascot Dagu, which is a slime parody head on incredibly buff blue bodies. It's very <laughs> Choaniki esque. If that would give you hints to the design. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ha- have, has the series ever had a uh, literally uh Choaniki uh, references in it? it's had references, but nothing really overt. Because again, like I said, this is a world where maybe one in a hundred people is a male. Right. Well, clearly there needs to be a Choniki spinoff. Um, there was Neptunia shooter and it's garbage. Oh, okay. I paid a dollar for it and still felt ripped off. <laughs> I, I meant more in the sense of like, you know, just like, uh, you know, like lots of, uh, 
ridiculously homoerotic. <laughs> oh, don't worry. The game is ridiculously homoerotic. It's just not with men. <laughs> right. <sighs> the only letdown on uh, Esha's design is uh, there's just not enough uh, pouches. They got the hair right, but, you know. I think they were going for more of a Cloud, and Cloud actually didn't have a lot of accessories. That's true. It was basically a jumpsuit and the rivet arm. Yeah, yeah, that is true. But yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, pouches, hmm. Uh, Whenever you wrap the four of these, you get the final arc, allowing you to reunite the cast and have the entire metaphor break down because the media-controlling Afimojax and his ninja lieutenant Steamax are your villains. Um, the whole premise of this, which we kind of glossed over because it's not very serious, is that Gold Third came about because... I, I'm just going to also open this up to you. Do you have any idea what the hell the name Afimojax is going for? No, no, not, not at all. Neither do I. I was looking on wikis to see if someone would point out what that's a reference to. I don't know if it's just something I completely missed, if the localization gave up on it, whatever. But yeah, um, that character runs a game industry news and rumors site, which is how they were able to brainwash the masses into forgetting the main characters. And it may be like a, it may be like a uh, persona kind of thing where uh, you know you've got the entire game where you've got this like villain that's really well developed, and then all of a sudden there's like the, at the end there's like this weird random like god figure that you've never heard of, and uh, they're 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 the ones who are really controlling everything, and it's just this kind of like hey here's something that we pulled out of our asses for the final boss. Mostly it just gets me because that name seems like it should be a reference to something, but no one seems to have pinned down what. Right. It's just very bizarre. But uh, yeah, the cast all team up with Gold Third and everyone gets their next form before you uh, deal the killing blow to the two and move on to... Yeah, you move on to uh, Heart Dimension Game Neptune H. Which, um, in which, uh, speaking of persona, <laughs> yeah, the zero dimensions of chaos, uh, begins bleeding out into the hyper dimension as the dark doppelganger of the Dreamcast tries to crash the world that it left behind, locking the CPUs into the heart dimension and leaving their portable siblings, the CPU candidates, and the gold third to, uh, save everyone from, uh, extin- extinction, um, to save everyone from extinction. Um, so yeah, this, uh, this part of the the game is pretty, pretty quick. Uh, you basically swap to a different set of characters who've been, uh, out of the story for the most part, and you take on Dark Orange while repairing the now connecting nations, um, sort of like Death Stranding. Um, yeah, yeah, you literally can't bring them together until this chapter. So yeah. Yeah. And uh, you rescue uh, the CPUs from the heart dimension where they're trapped inside visions of their deepest desire. So, yes, does this sound familiar to anybody mm-hmm. who uh, played Persona? Um, the game explicitly reminds you it's a uh, Neptunia title um, as you're given uh, brief glimpses of, uh, you know, these the, the uh, visions these, they're trapped in. Visions. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, some of them being, uh, you know, 
Furt continues to wish that she had a sibling of her own and lives in a dream world where Nepgear is her own little series. Or the terminally fat, flat Blanc has massive breasts now. Which they um, continue to censor by having other characters stand in front of it the whole time. Right. <laughs> it's and, so and, weird. And, yeah, it's weird. And, 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 it, it's probably worth mentioning, you know, like a lot of JRPGs, you know, the, the gender politics of this game, like, you know, not, <laughs> not, not as ideal as you would like them to be sometimes, but yeah. Uh, for a game that is explicitly an all female with the exception of Umio cast, it's still a little regressive, but I will also point out that it never really punches down so much as it just goes for a cheap laugh. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, there's always the incredibly terminal thing that I can say as a generic white dude, which is most of the staff are female. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yep. That makes it all right, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Alisa <laughs> is going to scream at me after this. Yeah, yeah, she is. She is. But, I've earned it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is that, that that is a typical white male thing to do, say. But yeah, I would probably pro- probably say the same thing uh, in certain situations. Last night I was. Um, streaming a little bit of uh, Bayonetta 2 mm-hmm. and uh, I was streaming it mostly like mostly the introduction uh, because I knew a few of my friends who don't play games a lot uh, were you know bored because they're shut they're shut inside and we're watching it um, <laughs> um, most of them you know like women and feminists and you know, I spent most of the stream just kind of like trying to like justify the fact that you know, she uh, Bayonetta is uh, half naked through like the first like 30 minutes of the game. You know? uh, Bayonetta consists of one of the single most awkward moments I have ever had playing a game in which while I was going through the original, I had relatives come over and walk in just as I was discovering that one of the new moves at the level I reached was putting a character on a pommel horse and whipping them to death. Well, I've got I've had <laughs> another tangent, but I think I might have a uh, worse example. Um, so a couple years ago when I had a uh, corporate job, we uh, flew to uh, D.C. for a corporate retreat. And... Um, on the flight back to Austin, I was sitting on a plane with the, you know, was basically full of my coworkers. And for some reason, I was think I decided, you know, I think I'll play Bayonetta one on my switch on this mm. flight. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and after, after about half an hour of playing it, I realized that like all of my coworkers are sitting next to me. And I'm the only one like sitting there playing a video game and the video game is one where it's like, you know, a woman running around, stretching her legs, bending over and, uh, you know, suggestively uh, sucking a lollipop. And I was like, my God, my colleagues must think I'm the biggest fucking creep in the world. Mm. So I 
have worse work stories, but I'm not sharing them on a mic. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't they that bad. Actually, call after me the sheriff. <laughs> What's that? They still call me the sheriff. <laughs> after uh, you know, after uh, that, um, after we got off the plane, a couple of people were like, "Wow, that that game looked pretty rad." Like, I really want to get a Switch now. And I was like, "Oh, okay," um, but it was still a little, little awkward. But, Thank um, you. <laughs> it's kind of like watching, you know, a movie uh, like on your phone or iPad on a plane that suddenly has like a really graphic sex scene or something like that. Oh, that just reminds me of my favorite story of one of those, which was written into a movie podcast. And they said uh, the guy was watching a documentary and fell asleep. But he left it paused the entire time and he wakes up and he's just like, oh, we're landing. He shuts his laptop and tries to say something to the guy next to him who immediately books it off the plane. He gets back to the hotel room later that night and opens it and discovers that for the entire hours of the film, the documentary he had been watching about uh, the ex- staff of a former dictatorship who you know what like had to live actual lives after all that had just been paused on a frame where the subtitles simply read <laughs> and we shoved bamboo skewers under his nails while the band is walking through a mall with his family <laughs> and this is all the guy had been able to see for three hours mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, it's a good documentary too. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, anyway, Neptunia. Anyway. Yeah, back to Neptunia. So anyway, if you uh, basically uh, complete the requirements for the uh, good ending, uh, you gain a bo- bonus dungeon after the story. And uh, as Azumi admits that Dark Orange is absolutely her shadow, um, rather than uh, you know just letting you kill her to stop everything. Um, she accepts her bitterness uh, for the state of her world, and all of you, you know, basically uh, are piling on to crush the dark orange spirit for good in unison. Yeah, pretty much all you have to do to get the good ending in these games is don't favor one nation over another and talk to everyone. Right. Because otherwise, you just have horrible miscommunication, or someone gets greedy, and then everything goes to hell. Right. One thing, you know, then this is not story related, but the one thing that um, I had some issues with, especially earlier, early in the game, mm-hmm. was that um, you know you could it, you you could really kind of get screwed if you got into a battle. And you needed like a certain uh, certain drop or a certain customization that you hadn't set up yet, and that was not really uh, well explained. So there were a few yeah. parts where I just kind of like hit a wall, and it's like I have no idea what to do next. I'm just like dying in every battle that I go into, and um, yeah, so it took a little. A little while and a little wiki digging to figure that out. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so with us at the end of the story, we should probably note that we have 
massively simplified what playing one of these is involving. Uh, there's about seven other systems in this game that we didn't even mention, like scouts who are all knockoff characters or references to past games who you can hire for your nation and send out in quests who will return in X minutes or quests, which, you know, obviously are that bore the big tower. You can send characters up to find items and level up or plans, which let you do more development investments in the nations to grow their infrastructure or what shops have or do PR Quiz Million app, which is a way to get rewards for how much trivia you know about the game. And these get granular. Uh, I was looking through screenshots from my playthrough, and one of them was being incredibly soberly reminded that, oh, I got the which ribbon, uh, which ankle do I wear a ribbon on question about Neptune, right? <laughs> um, yeah. All the various VN events, there are whole galleries and secret scenes and a bunch of stuff to just have these characters have fun in the world. And then there is Neplunker. Nothing, nothing sums up the weird love this title has for the games of the past and the culture of Japanese gaming more than the fact that in V2, there is a full licensed tie-in with the mostly known for its NES Kusoge port Spelunker in full 3D, playing by the rules of that game down to a fall higher than your character's height will kill you, and an air mechanic that requires you to learn routes and quickly backtrack to make any progress. This is the most focused thing to me, because as someone who has been playing... uh a day's worth of Spelunker Party, the most recent sequel in quarantine for the past week. It's great. It's everything I wanted. This was the best thing Spelunker got in the modern era until Party happened. Uh -huh. It even uses the same death sound from the NES game. That's how much of a recreation Neplunker is. And so crazy. You also probably want to do it at least once because it gives you an accessory that allows you to bust more objects in the game world. Yeah, but, it's, it's totally yeah. totally left field that that's there, but it's really cool. Yeah, it's one of the first things scouts are likely to find for you because it's half necessary. Like that that accessory is really handy in getting around some of the later areas. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh but yeah, that's that's Mega Dimension Neptunia V2. Any other series or whatever questions, Paul? Um, I don't really, uh, I, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, I came into this curious, but, you know, pretty dismissive and came out of it really enjoying the game. Um, you know, for all its like limitations and weirdness, um, and, uh, yeah, you know, obviously, like, I bought another game in the series and ha have been playing it. It's kind of a hard sell <laughs> for people. It is, like I say, 
if this sounds fun or like you might enjoy the humor, there are people who have done uh, pretty comprehensive Let's Plays on the LP archive. That's also probably the best way if you want to see the difference between the original games and the ports, because I think some poor bastard did go through the very bad PS3 revisions. Okay. And one thing I will offer a warning about to anyone new to this who wants to try getting into this. Only a single title in the mainline franchise ever got over a teen rating, which would have been the second game because of an incredibly poor taste scene in the middle. Maybe skip game two if you have reservations about discomfort involving children. Oh, God. Yes. That's the most I'm going to say, and it's easily the low point of the series. Mm. Yeah, that's that's uh, a good warning. warning. Yeah, you, you might notice that in playing through this whole game, at no point did you find yourself going, oh, ew, why are the kids here? Yeah, they don't make that mistake again. Right, that's good. That's yeah. very good. But I feel that's a thing that needs warning, and um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I think... I think that's good. <laughs> good. I'm glad that you uh, put that out there. Um, you know, but I mean, I really, I really do think that if this sort of thing sounds fun, I mean, you know, and that you would really enjoy like the humor and the writing and the references. Um, it is a perfectly like, and it's I'd say it's better than just a perfectly serviceable JRPG. You know, it's not it's not a top tier JRPG. Yeah, it's but, it's B at best. Yeah, but it's a good time. And if this is you know, these the things that we've been we've been talking about are, you know, in your wheelhouse, I would I would highly recommend it, you know? Yeah. If you want a starting point and you only think you're gonna give it one shot go with V2, or if you are more of a Sega fan, uh, Super Dimension versus Sega Hard Girls. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I, I haven't played a ton of that, but I have enjoyed what I played of it. It streamlines the battle system a lot, but it also adds more to the world traversal. And again, it has an explicit reset-rewind mechanic with risk-reward against resetting time. So it's it's a much more interesting progress method than just, ah, do this quest again. Right. Plus you get to develop a whole giant multi-floor Sega arcade throughout time. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's yeah. pretty great. Um, yeah, I guess the only thing, uh, the only other thing, um, and maybe you don't, have, don't know, but I mean, what are like future plans for the series? Are there any other new games coming along or... So as of when we record this, a week ago, the president of Compile Heart put out a teaser video saying that the final issue of Dengeki PlayStation Magazine was going to have an announcement about a finale in a long-running Compile Heart series. He said this in front of a blurred-out background of Neptunia games, and then the announcement turned out to be that they are ending the Mary Skelter series. (laughs) 
Okay. So as of now, uh, the last things that have happened with the Neptunia franchise are it was given to Western developers for the first time in Canadians making Super Neptunia RPG. There was the PC-exclusive Neptunia shooter, which you should never touch for any price. Mm-hmm. And other than the, again, just freshly made Switch port of this exact game, we are sort of in limbo on the mainline series. We're probably doing an announcement any time now, especially since they have announced and said, hey, our next project is the Mary Skelter follow-up. But we don't have an actual word on what's coming However, they've been doing a lot of stuff over the course of 2019 for the series. Again, two new games. There was an anime OVA. Uh, By the way, if you ever want to irritate a certain type of anime fan, remind them that David Production had to stop doing JoJo's after the first season to do something that was much more profitable, like the Hyperdimension Neptunia anime. (laughs) That's real. Look it up. That's directly what came after. Wow. It's not good, by the way. Um, (laughs) And yeah, we're we're probably likely to get an announcement this year. But as of this recording, we do not have any data. Right. With that, uh, Paul, I just have one last question for you. Yes. Who is best girl and why is it Vert? (laughs) Oh, God. Um, I think I have to agree with you. Um, I feel incredibly called out by basically every scene Vert is in. So yeah, that's, that's my easy pick. I definitely, uh, dug her and, um, (laughs) probably because she represents us. It's like, I see myself in this and I don't like that. The boys love MMO junkie with the otaku mansion full of figurines. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I would, I would uh, definitely go with that. Yeah. (laughs) Go, uh, go with her as the best girl as well. Cool. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Uh, no, I think that's it. Do you mind if I just get in a quick plug while I'm here? Oh, no, no. I was going to ask you to. Okay. Um, I can be found at my website, hellscaper.com. If you need to find any of the other podcast work I do, or just a various compilation of writings on weird games like this and deep dives into trash and occasionally something praiseworthy. Cool. And uh, what what is it's Hellscaper again? Hellscaper. H-E-L-L. S-C-A-P-E-R. All one word. Cool. Yeah. It's it's a it's a good site. I check it out. Uh, Thank you. It is do a reboot, which is something that I'm working on fixing up the design of while I'm in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. I think uh I'm hoping to uh get a lot more uh a lot more podcasts out, a lot more uh consistently. Um being both on lockdown and unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yep um, but uh yeah uh let's see as far as just general you know business i would say you know if uh you could go to the i it's not the itunes store anymore it's apple podcasts now 
and other places that let you review uh, um, podcasts um, and uh, review Combo Chain. That would be awesome. You can follow us on uh, Twitter and we have a page on Facebook. Um, I would also highly recommend our uh, the other podcast that we do, which is uh, Megasend Marathon, um, which Fletch, sometimes Fletch, I'm on it. Yes, Flash is kind of like the, un, the unofficial, like occasional fourth host. <laughs> I think you're on maybe like I don't know three episodes a year. Uh, yeah, I, I do tend to pop in for the more obscure early titles you don't have as many people familiar with. Right. Probably yeah. going to be if next. Yo, God, God. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I hope you're ready for sloth. Oof. Yeah, we're we're well, we're we're making our way through uh, Persona 3 uh, right now. So that's ah. that's a little that's a little easier. Um, and actually, uh, first Persona 3 episode just came out last week. Um, mm. We'll have another one coming out in a couple weeks. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you can check that out at megatonmarathon.com. Um, and also, we have a Patreon. Uh, it's under uh, Mirror Image uh, Studios. And um, basically, that is pretty much just you know, kind of a way to cover our costs. Like we use special like podcast, uh, remote podcast recording software. So it sounds relatively good and, you know, the hosting and everything. And so, you know, any kind of, any kind of uh, amount that you could throw in on the Patreon would be awesome. Help us break even, especially in this time when uh, money is very tight. <laughs> um, Understood. Yes. Yes. Uh, that would be very helpful. Um, and if you want to uh, talk to me, I'm uh, uh, Paul M. Davis on Twitter. Um, I've got some other projects kind of like in the hopper, but nothing I'm ready to talk about. And uh, yes, yeah, the other last little bit of business is that uh, uh, Lisa, Elisa and I are going to be recording another uh news and uh first impressions uh, episode of combo chain later this week so that should be coming out pretty soon after this one so mm-hmm. watch out for that yeah um that'll be that'll be a good time and uh yeah thanks for thanks for uh joining me here fletch absolutely because i'm always there when no one else wants to touch things in this genre <laughs> Well, I look yeah. forward to showing up in 2021 for the Fairy Fencer F Dark Advent Force uh, oh, episode. God. No, no, I wouldn't do that <laughs> to you or, or myself. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. It's yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's have you on again very soon. Um, I always, guarantee I'll be back. Yeah, it's always a really good time. And Definitely go out, go and check out Fletch's stuff, um, his blog and his podcasting stuff, and his... uh, my appearances on Mega Ten Marathon. If you liked this, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, Shipman comment Tensei Two is the last one you were on, right? Yes, that would have been after the Strange Journey Redux episode. Yeah, yeah, both those uh, came out last year, so they're not yep. too far back in the archives. Um. So yeah, uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for now. Um, thanks so much for listening. 
Um, I'm hope I hope everybody who's listening is uh, staying healthy and safe and not losing their minds in the quarantine. And uh, yeah, you know, things are tough and scary right now. But you know, at least. <laughs> At least we have uh, weird JRPGs and podcasts. So many podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we, w- I will be back with uh, Elisa very soon. So that's it for now. Okay.